This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The opinions expressed in this episode are not to be construed as medical advice. Welcome to Demystify Beauty, a weekly podcast about creating transparency in the beauty space. I'm Mackenzie Westmore. And I'm Dr. Palmes. Always good to see you. I mean, I assume every time I look at you, you know, you have those gorgeous cheeks. You look revitalized and rejuvenated. You look fantastic. Well, I owe that to you. It's it's all because of you. And in fact, you know what? Because we're coming on almost a year of our surgery together, I'm going to do a whole social media posting about it because I want to I want to bring it bring it all back up of what we went through in our, our journey. It's almost been that long. It's been almost a year, July. Can you believe that? Time flies when you're having fun. My goodness. Yeah, it does. And here we are with an awesome podcast and a very awesome guest today. I'm super, super excited to be introducing Katie Becker. Uh, Katie, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. If you could please fill everybody in on who you are, what you do, why you do it. I'm so excited to be here with both of you. I am a beauty editor and writer. I've been working for women's magazines for the past over 15 years, and it's something that I love to do, and I've gotten to write for some of the real big publications like Allure and Vogue and most recently Beauty Director at Elle Magazine, and writing about this category, writing about beauty and plastic surgery from an ethical journalistic perspective is something that I feel really strongly about and that I know we'll be talking about a lot today. (laughs) Yes, we will. (laughs) Is this something you've always wanted to do? By the way, what is that really what you said. So we're going to dig into this a little bit, I think, but there's people actually go to journalism school to share information with the world. So pre-social media, pre-online is when I went to journalism school is when we were just, you know, getting websites for all of the big magazines. We actually had things fact-checked and we went to school to learn how to have things fact-checked and how to know when a source was a good source. Someone like a Dr. Nassif, And I think now we have information kind of coming from everywhere. And I think we're all really hungry to figure out what is worth listening to and what's safe to listen to. So you mean real news versus the soul? Fake news (laughs) category? This is true. This is true. (laughs) Is is fake news a thing? I will say that um, fact-checking is something I feel really strongly about. All the publications Mm. that I've worked for have a fact-checking team. This is real. So when people are are talking about fact-check journalism, there's whole teams that go through the articles that I write line by line. I have to send them an annotated version and say, who told me what, when, and give them the backup, the transcripts from my conversations, links to the studies that I'm talking about. You don't get that on TikTok, and not to say that there's not value to social media at all, but the question keeps being, who said this? Um, Mm. So... That's, that's what I feel strongly about is giving people the tools to start to navigate this new, not so new anymore, but this wide, wide world of um, information. We bring up a good point where you say TikTok, you know, how has beauty journalism changed since the huge rise of social media? It just seems yeah. to get bigger and bigger. You know, I, I love so many aspects of social media making things very digestible Mm -hmm. and easy to communicate with people with different learning styles is awesome. Videos are awesome. Making things like snackable and digestible is is valuable. 
Mm -hmm. Um, People deserve that kind of information. What's interesting is that when social media started to become a thing, it was very threatening for a lot of magazines, a lot of editors, Mm -hmm. and a lot of the big publications going, well, she, you know, that person didn't go to journalism school. That person didn't, you know, climb the ranks that that I had to climb. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, is that everybody deserves a voice. That's what I love the most about social media is someone in the, you know, not in New York or LA saying, this is what I care about in beauty. This is what my experience has been like. Mm -hmm. I love the democratization of it. What gets really tough is that with so many voices, Mm. everyone is fighting for attention. Mm -hmm. So you end up with these very sensational pieces of content and they can go viral or not have a lot of legitimacy to them. And that can be dangerous. That definitely, I would imagine, can be. <laughs> so for me, listening to this, since I see what's on social media compared to, again, I'm older than both of you by just a few years, of course, being sarcastic with that. But <laughs> I remember like when my brother, he went to you know, um, broadcast journalism. He got a degree. Oh, wow. And is it a BS or a BA? BA. Yeah, Bachelor of Arts. And I remember, again, when you have an article put together, you have to have the facts. But what, when you say the word, everyone has to have a voice, whether it's on Snap or TikTok or Instagram or whatever you're doing, anyone can say anything and you don't know if it's real or not. Right. And so, but now, some of the beauty of the magazines, I know they all do online, of course, which makes it easier. So they all have an online presence. Do they have also social media presence right now where they'll put out some facts out there? The magazines all have their own social presence. You can't afford not to. There's a period of time where there was definitely resistance to it. Now, a lot of publications use their socials as a way to promote those stories. What's tricky is that some of these stories go live so quickly that the fact-checking doesn't quite happen with the same rigor that it used to 15 years ago when Mm. I was first writing for these publications. And so, honestly, I think that's where it comes down to, okay, well, what kind of legacy does this publication have? You know, do they have legal teams? (laughs) Do they have... Do they have a fact-checking team that will look at these stories? Do they have writers that are used to taking their sources really seriously and what the information that they put out into the world very seriously? Um, I love writing for more of the heritage publications for that reason. Hmm. You don't write for them lightly. Um, but what I encourage people to do when they're reading a lot of these articles is look up who wrote it. You know, right. when did they graduate college? How long have they been covering this subject? How often have they covered this subject? Um, or what is what they're saying consistent with uh, what you're seeing from doctors? Mm. Are they quoting board certified doctors? Do they seem to know what sources to go to? Um, those That's how, it, unfortunately, people have to do a little bit more legwork these days to double check where their info is coming from. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen something big slip through the cracks? Ooh, that's a good question. Not from the big publications, I will say. Okay. That's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they Honestly, I think they have too much on the line. On the line, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, because, I mean, the bottom line is you're saying that 
There's litigation. Right. If you sit and say something wrong, the media has to be responsible for what it puts out there. Yes. I mean, really, or whoever that person is in something writing an article. So you, you have a you have a BA in broadcast journalism or journalism or what do you in have? Journalism, yes. I have a bachelor in journalism uh, with a specialization in science reporting. That's actually where I started out was more in science and in health. And I thought I might be an environmental reporter. I ended up going to health. And then when I was writing about health, I was asked uh, to write, start writing about beauty. And I thought, well, this isn't really my world. And, you know, I'll, I'll do a couple stories. But the thing is, is beauty has such a depth of science behind it. Yeah. And then it's married with the artistic and the fun. And I just can't think of a better combination. I'm so fascinated by this. And I would love to know your perspective when you see people like, you know, Michaela on TikTok. And we had mascara gate mm -hmm. happen and you see things like that yes. pop up. How as a journalist that this is what you do, like you studied this, you mm -hmm. went to school. How do you feel when you see things like that pop up? That's tough. I, I know it's not coming from a malicious place because I just don't believe that people are doing these things maliciously. Mm -hmm. But when I'm in school, when I was in journalism school or being trained by the people that trained me when I was an assistant before I was ever allowed to put something on a printed page, we were talking about ethics, you know, getting yes. things fact-checked. I started my career at Prevention Magazine. Oh, wow. I've never been through more rigorous fact-checking than with that team. That really set me off in a good trajectory. But you also learn about advertising ethics. So you're learning about things like when a magazine might get in trouble um, or a an advertiser might get in trouble for right. false advertising. There's a whole science and field and legal field behind this that you get trained in class by class over at least four years. Mm -hmm. So when I see that, I think that's a shame that people yeah. haven't had the opportunity to have that education. Um, but I also am hopeful that it becomes a community education on this subject and that we see less of that moving forward. Got it. Talking about the quality of what you do compared to a non-educated, right. you know, journalism person who may not do the fat, fact checking. It's almost like some of the plastic surgery. You can go to a board certified specialist who has the right training, kind of like what you do for you. You have the right training versus someone who says there was a cosmetic surgeon and they practice a different type of medicine, but then they learn, you know, through some weekend course how to do cosmetic surgery. Right. And then they're doing right. it. So it's the same thing that way, the legitimacy of it compared to what totally you Totally agree. So when someone's on TikTok, for example, since it seems like that's where a lot of this advertising and where people are spewing off things, mm -hmm. what should a TikToker, whether it's any of us, do? How, do? how do we fact check something if we want to talk about it? Well, something I love to see is when somebody who is doing this on their own, and, and I want to first say not everybody can afford to go to journalism school, but they still want to be able to, to create content. Mm -hmm. I think that's awesome. I know what that motivation is from my heart. It is fun to create stories. 
but not everyone gets to go to school for it. Not everyone can afford to take an internship in New York City and learn the road. And I have a lot of empathy for that. And so I, I really encourage people to get out there and, and learn, maybe not speak before they learn, maybe you know learn before mm-hmm. they speak. What I love to see is when people are citing their sources. So for example, there's a tool that we probably all on this phone call use called PubMed. That's where all of the peer-reviewed published studies are uh, live on a government website. That ends up being a really important tool for me. To, if we're talking about, let's say, right now, for example, I'm writing a story about LED face masks. Mm. I'm not going based on what I've learned on TikTok about what LED face masks use. I'm starting at PubMed. I'm seeing who is studying this, and I'm reaching out to that doctor and asking that person tell me about this LED technology. What does it really do? How do we know that it really works? Point me to the best research that we have. That is my starting point, not the marketing of a website that sells the tools. Yeah, because like, for example, we have LED. Yeah. We have the bed, we have the panels. Nice. I don't know if, I don't know if we bed. still have the LED face masks here, but I know that when I, like, for example, about vetting it, a lot of the stuff that we do, like that, or hyperbaric oxygen we do after surgery, or mm-hmm. ultrasound, or lymphatic massage, a lot of these things we don't really know what is the percent of improvement or recovery that they actually achieve from doing some of these things, whether it's a combination of everything. Mm-hmm. Or one is, you know, more effective than other. And I don't know how many studies are out there, but for example, you know, when it comes to uh, um, the fa- the LED masks. They're everywhere. I mean, every- everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the question is, I know that the whole inflammatory process maybe could help, you know, yes. maybe could help with acne, things like that too, and anti-aging. So I don't, I don't know if you're going to find peer-reviewed published studies on some of these things, because they're too hard to get a sample or to can have a control. Mm-hmm. But but it's interesting when you talk about that because I'm saying to myself, wait a minute, like, yeah, I, I know when a patient comes in and spends whatever their money is for some LED beds, you know, I read all about it and what LED does, especially the different colors. But mm-hmm. I never saw a peer-reviewed paper. But it's always great. I like that you're looking first and starting with the most pertinent information and going from there. That makes a lot of sense. See, and I think, and going to, to Katie's point also, because of knowing the exact brand that you use, Dr. Nassif, with like the LED face, the LED bed, there is a handhold at home by that same company. Of course, that's what I got because, you know, if I can't get into your office, I'm going to just have a little handheld at home. And I know at least it's the same mm-hmm. company. Now, whether it's going to work as well as a full bed or a panel, probably not. It's not going to be as strong, mm-hmm. but it's better than nothing, I feel. <laughs> and what I'm glad about, I'm glad to hear from you, Dr. Nassif, about the the maybes and the caveats. Yeah. That's another really important journalistic uh technique slash requirement is when we're talking about unbiased content, we're talking about what does the other side have to say? So for example, if, you know, we're writing about a certain product, just saying the downside of this selection might be that it doesn't have peer reviewed research around it. 
Um, there are some doctors that don't think that this science has enough, have enough legitimacy to be worth your money. They would recommend a retinol instead. Mm. But having voices, disagreeing voices, so that you can talk about the whole story is super important to a true journalistic story or post. And so I think that's another thing to be looking out for with sort of quote unquote random people that might be on social is, are they telling you the full story or is it just this one? It, there's no miracle. There's no such thing. Yeah, there aren't true. miracle <laughs> products. They're products that work really well. Um, but there's nothing that doesn't have a, well, this might not work for this person or might be too expensive or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the downsides might be. You want to find someone who's willing to talk about that. So I'm curious, what, um, just to segue a little bit, what has, a two-part question, what has been your favorite beauty fad that you've covered over the years? That's a good one. Oh, gosh. And I also want to know, the second part is also, what was the worst? (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Sorry, put Um, you in the fire here. Well, okay, well, (laughs) I'm trying to answer a lot of these questions diplomatically. I remember... Um, I'll start with one that it has not been a... You're amongst friends. <laughs> yes, yes, you and, are. Just and everyone else that's going to be listening to this. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so at the, at the dawn of social media, right, we're seeing people do these heavily contoured faces. Yeah. And I remember asking a very famous old school makeup artist who's been doing backstage for shows like Chanel and Dior for years, because that was a big part of my job going backstage. Oh, wow. And I remember, yeah, and I remember asking him, how do you feel about, you know, his social media following wasn't much because that wasn't his forte. You know, his forte was being backstage creating art, not creating YouTube videos for people to watch. So I said, what do you think about these sort of uneducated people, right? You know, they, they aren't professional makeup artists creating this content. And he said, I think that collectively... We're all in Makeup 101 together right now, and I'm just going to have some patience. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Makeup is a lot lower stakes than plastic surgery. so (laughs) Very true. Very true. (laughs) That's a whole other conversation. But yeah, probably the most painful fat has been like the really heavy, super, you know, there's some people that love the artistry of that, and that's great. But when you're seeing that like on the street, I was sort of like, okay. Hopefully we'll move past this sooner <laughs> rather than later. Um, right there with you, Katie. <laughs> yeah. Another fad that was really fun for me when I was working at W Magazine, it was right when K-Beauty was becoming a thing. Oh. Beauty bombs were, yeah, were popping up. This is probably like 2014 or 15. Mm-hmm. And I met a woman who started this company called Peach and Lily. And she was just starting this K-Beauty brand where she was bringing cool Korean beauty products to the U.S., and she would go to Korea, and she's of Korean heritage. She would go to Korea, check out cool new brands and come bring them to the US and help educate people about the 12 step regimen and what that was all about. Mm-hmm. It was so fun to go and just learn about that beauty culture. There's so many different beauty cultures. And yeah. I think, you know, whether somebody has time for a 12 step regimen is really their business, their, <laughs> their own business. But we learned so much from that time. And so that's a, that's a story that I loved reporting as we got to kind of traipse around Seoul for a week and check out what was trending there and predict what was going to be the cool new product. And um, I think that story is, has stood up well. That is interesting. Correct me if I'm wrong. 
So we have the beauty fat, like you said about the K-beauty. Mm-hmm. What was that question, the negative question you asked Mackenzie? I think it was, uh, you said bronzer, the heavily bronzed, or the heavy contoured look. Oh, the heavy yeah, contoured. The heavy contoured. Yeah. For, Is there for... another one? Just out of curiosity. Is there another one? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's it's kind of cool, and they weren't tra- and they weren't trained appropriately. No, I mean this is like people who are in beginner makeup, and I yeah. I do think there's something cool about that. There's some people that are just never going to get to go to makeup school, but are curious about it. Like that that is fun. I I can imagine if I had YouTube when I was thirteen, wanting to learn all these tricks and hopefully you know educating. It's all yeah. about wasting too much time and money, but there's something fun about it. And I, I will say there's, you know, there's the tricky side of social media that it can make young women insecure. I think it, it's yeah. also, it's important to be thinking about that. And we have a lot of new research around that. That's important to be aware of. I think it's also important to be thinking like, wow, we're really expanding people's horizons who might be living in parts of the country where they just aren't encountering these worlds and hopefully it inspires them. Speaking of that, you know, I, I did, I had read something and I don't know if this is true or not, but I had read that France is going to make it almost like a law for social media that if a photo is posted with a filter, whoever's posting it has to put that there is a filter on it. I love that. I think I that love is, that. I, I know some people are saying, well, that's governmental control, but I'm sorry. I think that is a necessity, like you said, for young women and men. That, that are struggling with what they're seeing online and not knowing what's true and what's not. I think that's, mm-hmm. if that's true that France is doing that, I, I'm all for it. It's required for advertising. You know, if it you're is. doing a, if L'Oreal or someone is doing a mascara ad and they're, they've um, enhanced, on. you know, lashes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dr. Nelson, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with the mascara gate of uh, what happened, but this influencer, no. Michaela, um, she did a brand deal with L'Oreal. And as she's applying it to show the length and the volume, it was a quick cut. And it is so obvious as somebody in the makeup field, so obvious that when she edited it, she put falsies on when that, when it was a quick edit and you you can so obviously tell. So it became this huge thing that everybody talked about. She disappeared for a little bit. L'Oreal, of course, that mascara sold through the roof because everybody was curious then. And then she just reappeared like nothing happened, which I thought was so odd. (laughs) Well, disappeared, you know, let everything mellow out and then just. That was it. Yeah. I'm sure Mario told her, chill out for a little bit. Yeah, just chill out. And they just come back and just ignore it. Don't even discuss it anymore. Yeah. Full disclosure, Alice, my CEO, met Katie. And how did she find you? Because. You're, you're doing some, and I don't know how limited you are at what you're doing, but for example, me, as you know, with my skincare and also beauty in all different ways, since of what I do, how did we all hook up in regards yeah. to working together? A big part of my job is my relationships with the PR people, the press teams through the grapevine. Through those relationships, um, mm. Alice had heard about me through a PR person that she was working with that I've worked with for years. Um, and we were talking about um, the brand, about your skincare brand. And something that I'm having a lot of fun with right now um, is I've been working with brands on how to tell their stories more effectively. 
you know, I still get to write as a journalist. I'm freelance now and still write pieces. But a big part of my job is talking to brands about how to stand out because you know what? In the last 15 years, there are so many more brands than there were when I first started doing this. It's so overwhelming. Oh, yeah. yeah. As an editor, it it's very overwhelming. And um, I think there's a lot of brands that have incredible magic to them, incredible formulas that more people should be aware of. Um, and I love helping tell those stories. So that's how we all, we hooked up is... I got to know your brand a little bit better um, and work a little behind the scenes, which has been awesome. And it is a great brand. Yeah, I love how I mean, so, yeah. you know, and, and that's how we're, you know, we kind of um, did this. And it's great because, you know, she interviewed me, Mackenzie, for quite a long, very extensive interview <laughs> and put me through the My ringers. Specialty. Really? You know, really to, to <laughs> I love it. See if, you know, if the products were credible. And you can tell by the way she was interviewing me that if I wasn't credible or if I pulled these products off of a shelf from a chemist, because you know a lot of yes. practices will just get a white label something, uh, you know, that it's not a real skincare. Right. And so she really kind of in there and uh, she vetted me would be the right word <laughs> to see if it's wow. appropriate. Since, you know, you don't want fake news, you don't want fake skincare. So um, kind of the same thing. So that's when I kind of knew that you were the real deal, you know, when Thank we talked to you guys. Um, it makes sense with your schooling background. It makes sense that you would be asking the hard questions of, of somebody like Dr. Nassif. And, you know, I mean, I, I, it makes sense. And the further along I get in my career and the more and more brands there are, it honestly becomes an urgency of time. That's not the case in our, wow. in our conversation. I wanted to learn more, but it, it's, there's so many brands now that when people do approach me because they want me to write about them, I have to really quickly figure out whether I'm staying on this phone call for 15 minutes or an hour. And wow. if I sense that there's nothing, yeah. If I sense that there's actually not going to be much happening behind the curtain, I, I just stop asking How questions. The can you, okay, I'm curious. Yeah. Can you sniff out the BS right away? Yes, usually because the answers aren't very specific. <laughs> or because it's, yeah. So we've had a real, uh, editors have had a real struggle with this in the clean beauty movement. Ah. Because there are so many brands that will come to us and the founder will say, God. I, this is a story I've heard a million times. I was pregnant with my first child. I happen to be pregnant with my first child right now, so I can relate to it. But um, I, people That's come and say, yeah. you know, thank you. Pregnant for the first time, became really concerned about the products I was putting on my skin and decided I needed to start a skincare line. Oh my God. That is a, a beautiful motivation. But the question is, if we're talking about clean, if we're talking about sustainable, why do these new products need to exist? What have you discovered that is the, a big, scary ingredient that no one else has figured out yet? Um, so that's where I start digging. Mm. What have you found that's actually a concern? And how do you know it's a concern? There's a lot of fear-mongering marketing right now around clean beauty. And unfortunately, it's delegitimizing de the category. Um, I think it's awesome that people are pushing the conversation forward in terms of safety but we can't just vilify everything. Right. Yeah, it's very true. And I mean, I know skincare point. is 
definitely more um there are a lot more eyeballs on skincare and the legitimacy than yes. than makeup you know makeup you can squeeze yes. by a little Your bit world. more but <laughs> but you know even with western yeah. beauty i know everything is paraben free yeah. sulfate free where it's, it's important but we always say it's responsibly made you know skincare, yeah, there we go yes that's that's a different that's a different ballpark when it comes to now just out of educational um, or knowledge about, let's say you do a, a story about a procedure. Mm -hmm. Some of the people that you might speak to, whether it's the a physician or that person, makeup artist, esthetician, mm -hmm. whatever, they actually, you know, are going to have all the information. But, yes. and this might be a question also for Mackenzie. Mm -hmm. So when the patients come in, customers, whatever you want to call them. And since they have the internet, because as you know, you can read how to do a surgical procedure on the internet. Oh, that's but when the patients that do come in are customers that know everything, uh, what is your whole thought about how you deal with the know-it-alls? And that might be involved in what you do, Katie, but also, of course, with people that Mackenzie deals with. Mm -hmm. I'll answer mine later on after. I got an answer, but Katie, you go ahead. You kick it off. Oh, I'm, I mean, I'm dying to hear from both of you. Um, I'm trying to be the informed educator, you know, they're the, the stop that they arrive at. Um, I wrote a story for the Zoe Report about buckle fat excision. This was ah. maybe a year or two ago. Yeah. This is a perfect example because I want to put out information that acknowledges that there are people out there that are having success with that procedure and that really feel like it was the right decision for them. There are also doctors that refuse to do it. There are doctors that think that it's great and they, you know, they'll do it right then and there. There's a real wide, that's sort of a controversial um, surgery these days, but very popular and there's so much attention on it. So that's a long story. That's that ends up you can't really do that story in 500 or 250 words, you know, we're talking about a 2000 word story at least. And it's important to me that I'm interviewing a lot. There are a lot of doctors that I interview where their interviews don't even end up in the story because wow. they either repeated something that was already covered or it's just background that I need, but I'm trying to get a lay of the land. So mm -hmm. I'm going to people who have great reputations, who are, you know, board certified that have all of the, the, credentials and trying to get a sense of overall how is the the surgery field feeling about this treatment hmm. so that's that's what i aim to do for you guys <laughs> so when someone's coming into your office they're not saying i heard this is the hottest new thing i want it that they're saying i know that there's there are people that this is right for and people that it's not right for right well, let, let me um, just comment on that since you did it. Please do. You're right. <laughs> Patients will come in saying, you know, they saw whatever the celebrity is having that procedure and they want it, period. Hmm. Um, yes. And they act like they know it all. But you're right, they haven't heard about or read about, okay, you know, what happens to you, you know, as you get older and you lose facial fat? Maybe someone who does come in who's very full in the buckle area is a great candidate for it. 
but it's not for everyone because then it leads to hollowness. Right. And that's what makes you look older as you age. But then they say, well, I don't care because that's 20 years from now. I just want it out now. I want you to feed my, you know, uh, my appetite for getting my buckle fat removed. And a lot of doctors, of course, will, well, obviously, you know, it's a business. They're going to say, sure, okay, we'll do it. Because that you're going to go to somebody else. So we better make sure that yeah. we do it. So we know we'll yeah. do it right. Or they're going to lose the business. But it, it, yeah. it's true. It's just like with anything. You have the real and the fake yeah. aspect of the information, just like how you're doing the research on it. And the doctor has to also do the exact. Do you encourage people, Dr. Nassif, to go to multiple surgeons before they decide to go with you? Are you happy to have them get a lay of the land? Or does that make you nervous? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, in the beginning of my career, I always told patients that, listen, it's always good for you to go to have three consults. Mm -hmm. And some patients, when they come to me, they already have studied the number way I am. They already know my work and they already know that I'm coming to you to do my facelift in my nose. I don't go and say, oh, why don't you go out and see two other doctors? I don't do that. At my yeah. stage and my level, I don't have right. to, you know. And if a patient yeah. already says, hey, I do want to go visit three doctors and they, you know, they like three doctors that do this type of a facelift, they already know what they're doing, especially nowadays. Most of the patients are very well educated. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them already know, I'm going to have five, I'm going to go, all that patients will come and say, hey, you're the one, or you're one of seven. I mean, I know even for myself, you know, Katie, I don't know if you uh, know this, but Dr. Nassif and I worked together almost a year ago to dissolve all my fillers. And it's crazy to oh, think, yeah. dissolve all my fillers. And he completely reconstructed me. And because it was like, you know, droopy skin. And it was like, a, I always I always say I look like a Sharpay. You know, I was like, hey, drag in the skin with me as I walk. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> I take response. I totally did. It was bad because I, I, had, I had gone to too many bad people. And that just like he was just saying, you know, they want the money. So I, I didn't know the right from wrong. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a journalist. Like I, I did not know the right from wrong. So I just listened to mm. whoever I was going to and thank God found Dr. Yeah. Nassif. And it was not a, well, let me get a second opinion feeling with him. It was, okay, how soon can we do this surgery? How soon can we get this skin all snipped up and, and, you know, get me taken care of? Yeah. Because it was, it was important. I knew I was in, in the best of the yeah. best hands. What made, what gave you that like spidey sense feeling that you were in the A couple of things. First, it, it came from my cousin um, because I, mm -hmm. I knew, you know, my cousin does botched and I reached out to him. I, to be honest with you, I, I thought I was going to, I knew I was getting, I was, I knew I was getting sick a lot and I thought I had oh, what was yeah. called breast implant illness. Yep. And mm -hmm. I remember calling my cousin. I said, you're going to know who I should go to, to find out what's yeah. going on. I didn't know what it was. And I also knew I had some issues with my eyebrows and somebody had put filler in my eyebrows. So yeah. Which is and kind of a into, dangerous place, right? To it be dropped into filler. my eyelid and it mm -hmm. inhibited my vision. And I knew when I, when I talked to my cousin, Matt, and he said, you've got to see Dr. Nassif. He's, he's going to guide you on, on every which way from top to bottom. So go see Dr. Yeah. Nassif. 
And I remember sitting in his office and it wasn't even like, well, you know, I'm going to see a second person. It was, there just was no, I I finally had that spidey sense of like, this is the man, you know, I'm putting my Mm -hmm. life in this man's hands. Let's start this process. Let's design. When he said, let's dissolve and let's see where we're at and let's go from there. I just, I trusted every step of the way and I trusted the process. Mm -hmm. You know, when you said, I'm sorry, not to like (laughs) blow your ego up here, the Dr. Nassif, but when you sit in his (laughs) office and he's so honest with you and he's so, you know, yeah. um, forthright, um, you can, you can tell just like you, you had your interview with him about the skincare, you can tell yeah. that the BS right away. And I just, I knew from the get go that this was the real deal. I knew I was in good hands and I knew I was going to survive this surgery. Cause that was also my fear. <laughs> yeah. I bet. Oh, well. Cause that was a good, like 10 out, what, almost 10 hours. And it was of, of being under, that was scary. That's a scary thing. That's that's a scary that thing to go scary. through. But I, I knew that my, I, my life was, I had been, and I knew that my life was finally for the first time in, in over 40 years in good hands. So. Mm-hmm. Thank well, you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So that's, yeah, I mean, that, that was nice. And I got to tell you, thank God. I mean, I just, I just saw Mackenzie, what was that, last week? Yeah, yeah, last week. Last on week, and actually. That reminds me my scars. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at them and how you how you heal, and uh, I'm just writing a little note for myself that I, <laughs> I I need to look at your photos. But on your exam, you know, you look fantastic. You know, so it's it's great that everything came out. You know, happy surgeon, happy patient. That's what we yeah. want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Katie, I, I got to say, to see the work of what he did, and I, nobody would even think that I had anything done because it's so natural. Mm-hmm. I don't look plastic. I don't look pulled. I don't look fake. And also the the healing of the scars is really, I mean, just outstanding. You can't see a single scar, which is, I think, unheard of when it comes to a facelift or anything. That's awesome. I, mean, I, I probably could have walked in there and just stayed quiet. And nobody would have known a thing. They'd just been like, wow, you look so refreshed. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like that, I get the sense. We know that people dissolving fillers has been a little bit more on the uptick than it used to be. And yeah. like breast plant excision has has been a little bit more popular, maybe from illness, maybe from aesthetics. But I'm curious, especially for you, Dr. Nassif, do you sense that you know, this sort of facial, it's like a facial dysmorphia where people kind of like lose sense of what looks natural, either it's from like the filters or because everybody having so much work done. Do you find that we're still in this like heightened period of people losing touch with what looks natural? Remember I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but that's what we have. We have these filter dysmorphia. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's calming down. Okay. Now, but let me say this to you. I don't go on social media all the time to some of the influencers and I don't go look at them because it's not like I have time and I just don't do that. If they look a little filtered, I get it. But if they're filtering themselves so much that they look very different. Yeah. I don't know that quite yeah. honestly, but from the people that are coming to see me in my office, they used to come in with, heavily filtered photos of their skin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I feel that that is becoming less and less. Thank God. Okay. So I would hope that people are 
softening the filter look, especially, you know, it, it got heavy right after COVID because people were going out again. Yeah. But then during COVID, no one was wearing makeup. Oh, interesting. And was taking yeah. better care of your skin, your skin. Because yeah. they were home a lot of times, you know, and Zooms and this and that, and they got to make sure that they look good. But did you find that, that Zoom actually, because I, I feel there are a lot of people that do talk about how Zoom increased their insecurities. Did you find that in your office? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, you have, um, you know, tech neck, you mm -hmm. know, the looking down with the. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. And all that. Yeah. So when you're sitting there for an hour doing a Zoom, and you're staring at yourself and you see a little something here, a little bit here. Yeah. You know, it is going to make someone possibly a little bit insecure. I mean, depending on your confidence level, you know. Yeah. It's okay to have some wrinkles and things like that. It'll look natural. But I can understand it's the same point if you go, you know what? My skin looks ashy. Does it look good? I get too many wrinkles. I get too many, um, you know, uh, my texture isn't great. My pores don't look great. And then maybe it's the thing like, hey, I need to start taking care of myself better. That's a positive thing. Right. And going back, I think just a, just a little bit, you know, on the makeup side, you know, when we were talking about earlier with social media, yeah. um, I remember one time, now, now granted, I'm, I'm like bottom of the barrel here of the three of us, you know, you guys like major pros. I'm not even a makeup artist. I just come from makeup family. I did take makeup classes, so I do know a thing or two, but obviously not at the level that you both uh, deal with. Uh, the frustrating thing that I find is that, you know, I've, I've posted a, a couple of videos on TikTok. They've gone viral. One hit 6.4 million. That's uh, another wow. one, 5.7 million. And wow. what gets frustrating is when somebody will respond, a 20-year-old, 21-year-old will say, well, if this influencer doesn't like it or say anything about it, then I'm not going to buy it. And I was, I just stay quiet, but somebody I remember responded underneath that, do you even know who you're talking to, whose family you're talking Ooh, to right yeah. now? Do you realize- That probably felt good. Westmore? It, that did, <laughs> I again, stayed back, I stayed quiet. I was like, yeah. <laughs> but it's true, you know, this, you know, a lot of, of my products are birthed out of the family history, you know, over a hundred yeah. years of being in, in makeup artistry. So, you know, when I see things like that of, well, if this influencer doesn't promote it, I'm not going to buy it. It's like, oh, God, come on. It's not so interesting. It's fascinating. It is fascinating. It is. And I also think what's also so interesting about that to me is it's like, uh, you know, not there's never one person yeah. that's the decider of it. Even, for example, I Gate noticed recently. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I noticed recently that there's certain things I can't do for my beauty routine right now because I'm expecting, right? So Botox obviously is one of them, but also I stopped using my lash serum. So my usual like great lashes are a little sparse these days. And uh -oh. my favorite mascaras have completely changed. Like their formulas okay. that I loved and swore up and down were the best formulas, but they don't work on my new lashes. They just, I they're know. too clumpy. They don't make sense. Everyone's different. Yeah. Like you were saying Everybody's earlier, every body. Every body yeah. is different. Everybody's yes. going to react differently. Everybody's going to have a different story to tell or reaction to some. It's not one size fits all. Nothing. The is. other thing that really cracks me up about what's happening with a lot of the social media, like skincare stuff, I'm way more interested what women in their 40s and 50s and 60s have to say yeah. about skincare. 
Yeah. And like, it's totally great, great to see these beautiful 20 or, you know, something year old faces doing all of their tools. And that's great. I looked great when I was, my skin was awesome when I was 20. We all look great when we were 20. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I, I'm way more curious what people who actually have improvements to make have to say. Yeah, I mean, especially been there, done that. You're right. Yeah. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. And when they look amazing, <laughs> when they look, when they have beautiful skin and you look as that's, I, I'm with you. I actually follow, most of the women that I follow are probably over 50 because I, I want to yeah. see, well, what, what are they doing? They look pretty darn good. So yes. what, what are they doing? But again, even then, what they're doing still might not work for me or for you or for yes. this person, that person. So it is, it's kind of like trial and error with products at least. You know, the, the one thing that yeah. I, I know for me is, is an absolute staple. And again, this is not a promotion here. It's just fact because Dr. <laughs> Nassif introduced me to HydraScreen before oh, surgery. Yes. And it's, it's my primer before I put my makeup on. It's, it's just, it's my go-to. I love that. So that was one that it's, it's my, my end. all. Love that. Up. Thank you for that. Darwin. I like that little extra. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I need more soon, actually. Well, I will tell you, I mean, this has been, you know, it's always educational. It's like when I'm listening to a medical lecture. I just got back mm -hmm. from Vegas and I ran a symposium on um, aging face and nose, rhinoplasty, oh, wow. and facelifts and wow. necklifts. And I always mm -hmm. learn something no matter how level I am. You know, you always want to keep continuing your continuing education and get better and better. And yeah. today was no different. Every time yeah. I'm on these podcasts, whether we're talking about Ozempic, <laughs> we're oh talking gosh, about yes. a new procedure, we're talking about breast surgery, journalism, writing, fake news, real news, um, fact checking. You know, it's kind of nice to hear today that, you know, there's legitimacy always yeah. involved when putting your articles together. And that's what you do, Katie. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate Katie, that. It you. takes a lot of work. <laughs> I bet it does, but you know what? I to to you know go with Dr. Nassif. Thank you for what you do. You know, thank you for the hard work that you do put in because it it helps to vet through what's what's real, what's not, and for people to know they have somewhere to go to read to know that they're they are reading factual information. Thank you. I really appreciate that. But really quick though, Kate, do you have any social media or or anything that you want to promote? So you can find me on social at Katie Jane Becker. Jane is spelled J-A-Y-N-E. Oh, and that's where wow. I post, yeah, K-A-T-I-E-J-A-Y-N-E, Becker. Um, and that's where I promote a lot of the stories that I write and um, pieces that I'm working on. And they're yeah. about everything from sustainable packaging to plastic surgery to cool new makeup artists. Oh. So it's a real diverse range of subjects. And lately it's been maybe a little bit more like growing belly bump pictures, but for the most part, I really like to cover uh, beauty. And Mackenzie, as usual, it's nice seeing you. Wonderful seeing you. We always you. have fun. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and I'm going to go back down. I got to go start. Remember, Tuesday's my patient consult patient day. day. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go do that. Wow. And I'm going to say again, uh, it was great seeing everyone. And Katie, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for listening to Demystify Beauty, produced by Gotham Production Studios. 
please don't hesitate to reach out to us on Instagram at demystifybeauty or email us at demystifybeauty at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. See you next time.